The Morning Struggle podcast is brought to you by Blue Clover Therapy, a mental health counseling practice in Salt Lake City, Utah. Visit www.blueclovertherapy.com for more information. Blue Clover Therapy, because your mental health deserves a specialist. Welcome to the Morning Struggle Podcast, where we take habits of successful people and break them down one at a time into history, science, and action plan so you can implement them into your life and build a better you. Stay tuned. So, this is the part of the show where we quip, 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 quip. We have conversation. We have witty banter conversation. Yeah, it's great. Some of it's on the cuff, off the cuff, and some of it's staged. You don't know. So you don't know if we've like, <laughs> no, we, don't we, we wrote anyway it last night. We never know what we're going to say. Or maybe we just say it. And today is definitely it's not a off the cuff. Day. Not a stage So I'm just not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to go there today. Oh my gosh. I'm just going to start it. Oh my gosh. Here we go. One, two, three. Welcome to the Morning Struggle Podcast. I'm Ty. <laughs> I'm Jesse. And we bring you habits of successful people. Yeah, we do. And today we're talking about heat. Beating the heat. Beating I can't heat. say heat because you have to have more than four letters on your podcast title. <laughs> so I have to do, I couldn't be like heats. Is that why I couldn't you, like just pluralize it. Is that why you, so it's, is it's, that why you looked at me that way when I was like, I want to call it heat. Yeah, I, a little bit. So it beat the heat. Beat we're the we're heat. talking about literal heat. Yes. Like the temperature of the outside on our bodies. Yeah. How it affects us. Yeah. Yeah. And I am one of the world's greatest antagonists, antiheroes, whatever you want to call me. So when you said we're doing an episode on heat and yeah. come up with a history of heat, right. I was like, well, would we talk about like the development of the sun? <laughs> no, I went this way. What's my favorite drink? Nope, frozen daiquiri. What's my favorite dessert? Wrong, frozen custard. What's my favorite movie? Frozen one. So not I went- Not frozen two? Not frozen two, frozen, frozen, frozen two. Don't even get me started. Okay. That's why I went with- the history of the ice trade. Oh, very on our cool. history. So I went the other way. So without oh, further ado, been. without further ado, yep. if you don't like histories, you just skip to eleven. You can learn the science and all the stuff that's going to make you a better person. Oh, but this but if is you amazing. like some useless history that you can use at your cocktail parties. Yeah. on Zoom, <laughs> you you come here the, on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, here we go. History of the ice trade. This day in history. Just like all of my history segments, it starts way long ago in the past, Mm -hmm. and then it skips a couple thousand years and ends up kind of where we're at right now. As you know, history does. Let's let's do let's repeat history, if we will. (laughs) One thousand BC. Oh my gosh! Okay, we're talking about the ice trade. Right. China starts preserving food using ice. Yep. I I guess they were the first. I don't know how they did it. They probably carved it out of icy mountains and brought it down from. Tibet or whatever, Smart. And, and preserve food. Then we have um, 500 BC. The Egyptians and Indians made ice um, on a cold night by setting out pots of water and letting them freeze. Oh, and very then they would cool. let that pot cool their food stores when they store it in like a little dark room or or closet. Oh, that's very and cool. Archaeologists have found these pots. Pretty exciting. So then, like, we would you sh- leave it in the pot and then just put it into your little mud casing or rock casing to like 
cool everything down. It was just like a daily process. I don't know. We should probably call our ancient Egyptian friends and oh, be like, what you, guys, what you guys do? <laughs> it's like a whole field of study on this. I, I That's probably a good question. Wouldn't that be amazing that your entire career hinged on ice pots? Oh my gosh. You just wait. Okay. We just, it, gets, it gets good. So in the 18th century, so let's forget about the... The ancients. Let's oh. go. Let's go modern ice. Let's do because it. Because that's that's what we're looking for. Yeah. We're looking for the ice cubes in the bar that are like the big round spheres. Mm-hmm. They charge you fifteen dollars for a whiskey shot, you know, because <laughs> it's poured on this fancy ice, and yes. then the bartender all knows all about it. Eighteenth yep. century ice ponds in New England. Okay. So these farmers, their ponds would freeze over. They'd chop up their ice. They'd put their ice in an ice house, uh-huh. and they'd cover it with straw. And hopefully, that ice that they had would last all summer. And they were able to preserve some of their food. Whoa. And that was summer. kind of the extent of it. Oh. Right? So you didn't have like ice machines in your house and all that fancy stuff we've got right now. But in 1802, the refrigeration ice box was invented. And this was invented by Thomas Moore. Okay. Moore's a very famous household appliance name. Oh. Usually okay. these appliance big companies were started by a single dude tinkering in his backyard. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you want to start a giant company, start tinkering in your backyard. Yep. Yep. 1806. This was the beginning of the ice trade. And this is a very famous story about a man named Frederick Tudor. Tudor. And his rise to become the king of ice. What? Yeah. So he saw these farmers loading their, their ice houses with these ice. And he said, I'm going to monopolize the ice trade. Where? Cuba. Okay. And Martinique and the Caribbean. Oh, my gosh. So he got a big fleet of ships. Okay. A few ships, I think, to start. And he would have teams or whatever farmers cut their ice out of their ponds. He'd load it on their ships. He would pack it with sawdust instead of straw, which preserved it longer. He'd go down to the Caribbean and he would sell his ice as a luxury. Oh, wow. Well... It took him about 15 years to make a profit. He may have gone into massive debt, and he may have gone into debtor's jail. Now, debtor's jail Uh was a jail specifically for people who owed money. What? That's it. It's crazy, huh? Oh, I don't like that. But 15 years, he kept out of... You know, after, you know, two, three, maybe five years, you're like, okay... Maybe this is not my thing. Yeah, if you've got a if you got a business and you're kind of struggling, especially now, just know that Mr. Frederick Tudor, mm-hmm. the Ice King, took 15 years to turn a profit and went to jail because he owed so many people money. Yeah. So in 1815, he uh, built an ice depot in Havana. Okay. And it could hold 150 tons of ice. Whoa. And so he would ship to like the southern United States. He would ship to the Caribbean, and then. Um, in the 1820s, they, oh, sorry. So during this time, it was really unsafe. Ice harvesting was one of like yeah, the I most unsafe. You, you got big, giant, in. three, 300, 400 pound blocks of ice, yeah. like sliding down these chutes. Men would get crushed all the time. Yeah, ice is super dangerous. Yep. And so. And this was not for consumption, right? This was for like cooling your food. This was, no, you consumption too. So oh. they would make ice drinks. They'd make ice cream. Ice cream oh. was a novelty. Um, and Frederick Tudor took a, took a hint from the old drug trade and he said, first one's free. So he oh, would go down smart. there. He would give a <laughs> oh free block of ice to somebody, probably like a business or whatever. Yeah. And then they would be hooked and yeah. they would need that ice because people have been warming themselves with fire since we were cavemen. Right. But they would not cool themselves off 
with ice or refrigeration. They yeah. just, you just, it was hot. You dealt with it. Right. But now you were able to eat ice cream and have ice in your lemonades wow. and all that stuff because of Frederick Tudor. So in 1825, though, this other um, antagonist to the natural ice trade came along. I'm on, I'm on an antagonist mood today. Yeah, you are. Nathaniel Waith. Waith. Okay. Anyway, he invented natural ice making refrigeration. Oh. And it didn't say how he did it. Um, oh, no, he, he invented the, the plow. Sorry. He invented a new ice harvesting plow. Okay. Which, which made it a lot faster to harvest the ice. Oh, I see what you're saying. Instead so of like hand cutting. We'll get into who made the, the, the fake ice here in a second. Oof, okay. But it was, yeah, so no more hand cutting. It was a plow. It could go really fast. So now ice was cheap. Oh. So this is when Tudor started turning a profit instead of coming down there and only, you know, you know, selling his ice for a lot of money and only, yeah. you know, to expensive you know, rich people, well, he could it, sell it to the masses. And at some point, like your stuff's going to melt. Like you, you, it's a limited. You would lose a lot, a lot of your, your ice on these, these trades. Yeah. So, uh, it, it started to, um, started to expand 1830 to 1855. This is John Gorey. Mm-hmm. He was an innovator and physician and he invented the, um, the cooling machine. He invented a method for cooling rooms. Oh. That was like the invention, like the, the precursor to like the air conditioning unit. Oh. Yeah, pretty pretty cool, Oh, right? that's neat. Yeah. Could you imagine like at that time being able to cool a room? It it would be, it, it, he did it for his like malaria patients. He thought that he had better outcomes with air conditioning oh, room in tropical climates. Oh, he did it because he was trying to help people, this guy, and now we just abuse it. Yep. Everybody has air conditioning in all their rooms. Everybody's got air conditioning in all their rooms. So uh, the railroads came came forth in the 1800s. Oh. So we started transporting ice via railroad paths. Oh, that'd be quicker. Yep, a lot quicker, able to the southern states. But then Uh-oh. Civil War hit. Oh. And guess who got cut off from their ice? Southern states. Oh. So the southern oh. states were actually cut off from their ice, which I think was the real demise of the Confederacy. <laughs> So I think that's how they that's won the war. He cut you off their ice. Like, ice. Where's my ice cream? I, I can't have a mint julep with a, or a, a, a frozen daiquiri. And then it just deteriorated And then quick. the morale went down. Um, so this this is where we get in the late 1800s is where we had some of the artificial ice started being invented. And they use like ammonia and salts to create ice out right. of water. Right, right, right. So they would also have, and this came about because they also had ice famines. So in 1890, there was a famous ice famine because of the Hudson River fail. So the Hudson River didn't freeze over. They weren't able to get their ice. And so people didn't get their ice that summer. Mm -hmm. And it became a big concern. It was kind of like toilet paper today. There was no no ice. Everybody everybody started freaking out because people by that time were relying on it for Mm -hmm. their businesses. Right. They were able to pack and freeze meats and perishable products and medicines. And now they couldn't do that and their businesses started dwindling. So they decided to make some artificial. So the naturalized trade started to go down. Oh yeah. No, I would assume if you could if you could make it on command. You wouldn't need the natural ice as much anymore. Right. Yeah. But oh, you put your old, finger good up. Good old like. Uncle Sam. <laughs> yeah. World War One and World War Two came around. Yep. And we said we need that ammonia for cleaning whatever we use ammonia to clean stuff with. <laughs> and so the natural ice trade took a big old spike and a boom. Oh no, kidding! So they they didn't they stopped making as much artificial ice because they're rationing the supplies for the for the wars. Oh wow. So the ice, the natural ice trade shot back up for a few years, 
But then, as with all things, the war ended, and we have this big surplus of supplies, mm-hmm. and it pretty much killed the natural ice trade. Oh, yes. I not to see. mention, it's not the cleanest ice. I mean, you're, it's like lake beds and things like that. So sure. people would get sick sometimes. You'd have some algae in there or right, amoebas, right, right. and you, you get sick. So the Amoebas. So, yeah, amoebas. They're bad for <laughs> no, you. Amoebas. Yep. So Could you imagine spending a whole bunch of money on a 300-pound block of ice, and then there's like a dead fish in the middle? Oh, I know. Yeah, so I'd be like, "Oh my gosh!" Do you call customer me? service. Be like, "Hey, there's a <laughs> fish in the middle of my ice packaging." So, but you'd write a letter, and it'd take you know six months to get there. Yeah, and by the time it doesn't really matter. You're just cut your losses at that point. Uh, 1952, the first um, ice manufacturer to store packaged ice at retail locations wasn't until 1952. What? When you, it was Lear manufacturing. Like you go into like you like, get a pack of ice. You go to the grocery go... store and you get a pack of ice. Nice. It used to come in a brown paper bag. What? Yep, came in a ba- brown paper bag. Because um, then it was the 1960s that um, this Charles Lampka, ice company operator from Amarillo, Texas. Oh wow! He said we got these new things called poly plastic bags and so (laughs) he put the ice in the plastic bags Mm -hmm. and it was able to last longer ship easier didn't get wet you know like a paper bag and that that kind of like spurred the ice vending machine industry wow so in the 60s they had coin operated ones like a soda machine you go up you push the button you get your you get your ice you have to pay for it um, 1984 Mm -hmm. they developed the ice industry research foundation Okay, so 1984, the year I was born. The year you were born, they developed this. They knew, they're like, in the future, (laughs) this Jesse Shepard, she's going to want clean, affordable ice. Mm -hmm. Let's start a foundation. Boom. So 1984, that happened. 1990, automatic packaging. So it wasn't until the 90s that they developed automatic packaging of ice. What? Yep. And then um, now they have robotic ones. And even the new vending machines, like at the grocery stores, have ice creation at the top of them. Goes into a bag, they bail it, and it just falls into the thing. What? It's it was crazy. I saw this the other day. So you've seen it. I've seen it with my it's own not eyes. At our, it's not at our our Ridley's doesn't have that. Well, I can't remember which grocery store I saw it at, but it like but dropped it, like, a bag ba- of ice. Like puts it, it right its, there. It bailed its own ice. What? So yeah, so maybe the days of packaging ice all over the world are coming to an end. I would assume that because there yeah. may, may be no more ice plants. So anyway, if you want to read more on this, it came from packagedice.com and i think this is actually the ice a- industry research foundation put this whole website together oh my goodness yeah, they're a whole they're a whole group so anyway what's amazing is that there is like an organization and these folks they're de- they've dedicated their lives to ice yeah life is my ice or ice is my <laughs> life whichever way christoph said it i know and christoph really yeah. that did a big thing for the ice so because so, when i saw that at first i was like ice harvesting what is he I might get it, maybe. It's a big thing. It's a big deal. It's it's if you think about every time you go to your fridge and you push the little ice dispensing button and it oh, comes out. You're like, yay. Because we emptied our ice tray. Yeah, we did. Because we didn't have room in our fr- freezer for something. Yeah. And we didn't have ice for like two days. And you would have thought the world was ending. Not for me, but for you. You're you're a warm drink kind of person, but yeah. I, I can't I didn't realize how much like if I get a glass of water, it's gonna be ice in it. I know Our kids not. are complaining, hey, can you make this water colder? <laughs> well, what kind of invention could I have to make water colder? <laughs> well, that would be ice. And we don't have any. I literally almost went like, Hey, let's let's call our 
our neighbors in Canada and see if they can ship down some a big block of ice in some sawdust for us. What I thought was funny is you couldn't drink your gym drink without ice in it. And so you go oh, and like, you like ask... Oh, like my branch chain drink. Yeah, yeah. you... Yeah, I asked the people at the gym. They like, got a little concession stand. Can I please stand. have some ice? Yeah, can I have like a cup was... of ice? And it was just... It, I couldn't even drink it. I know, but it's just silly. Like, it's not silly. I don't, I don't get you guys with the cool Well, drinks. back in the day, Frederick Tudor gave me one for free, and I was like, ice is amazing, and I could just, I've been hooked ever since. So anyway, so don't take your ice for granted. No. Just know, it, know the history. It came from a lot of work from a lot of people to get to a place where we don't have to pay Frederick Tudor thousands of dollars for him to deliver a big block of ice to our doorstep and then yeah. deal with it. So there you go. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. History of ice. Boom. But let's get back into some heat. Yeah. And let's get back into the history of heat or the science of heat on our bodies yes. and what it does to our brains mm-hmm. and then what we can do to beat the summertime heat. Absolutely. Okay, so first I want to preface all of the studies I'm going to talk about were in 100 degree um, weather. 100 degree weather. 100 degrees. Because they, they had to give a, a point in which this is the heat, 100 degrees. Now, it, the, rarely does the universe or our environment put us right at 100 and stay. Right. But but it this goes is... goes into, it goes out of it. Right. Morning's but, cooler, night's cooler. Got but it. all of these things were controlled in 100 degrees in a room. Like, could you imagine sitting in a room? So they got a bunch of college kids, and, and they put them in a 100-degree room, and then made them do math problems or whatever. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. But the humidity itself varied in all of these studies. They, they couldn't really, or they didn't control for that. So all of these were wildly different, which I'll tell you why that's important, but just to let you know. So there's a preface on our science. Yes. So the perfect outside temperature for humans is 70 degrees. Southern California. In Southern so California. Southern California is perfect. You got it. That's you why it's so crowded. Mm-hmm. Got exactly. it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And for so many different reasons, our body just is feels more comfortable. We're able to sweat. We're doing all the things that we need to in that 70 degree weather. Which you would think it'd be 98.6 because that's our internal temperature. You'd be like, hey, I'm, I'm good. Like I'm in. Right. But then you couldn't do house. anything because then your body would generate heat. Oh. And yeah. it would go up. Oh, see, smart. Yep. See? This is why we talk about science. This is why we do this. This is why we do it. All yep. right, keep going. Okay. So first, increased heat, specifically at the 100 degrees, makes it so you're sleepy and exhausted okay. in general. And the idea behind this is that you also have a lack of sleep and you don't get completed cycles in your sleep cycles. So as our bodies, as we go to sleep, our body cools down a little bit and it's sometimes not a lot, one degree, two degrees. It doesn't seem like it would make a big difference, but the problem is if it's hot in your environment, your body cannot cool down. So you cool down to heal or do whatever you do when you sleep. Yes. You go in your more comatose state, so your mm-hmm. body can do that. But if it's hot, it doesn't allow that cool down phase. Yeah, you never you never hit that phase. So therefore, your sleep cycle does not hit all the way through because your your body doesn't hit that just calm, really mellow state, right? All right, makes so, sense. Yeah, so the most optimal temperature for you to sleep in is 65 degrees. 65 degrees. 65 degrees. So Northern California. Northern, yeah. So you live at Southern California. You, take you a little sleep jog. in Northern California. Yes, okay. yeah, there's a lot of movement right, you got to yeah, do. Yeah, but 65 degrees is really where it's at. And and that's why they, they are thinking caves were our friends. Because they're usually about that temperature year-round if yeah, you go d- deep enough. Yeah, exactly. You can you can sleep in a cave. You can have your body cool down. You can get your sleep cycle. And the thing with sleep... 
sleep is that sleep affects everything. So if you're, if you haven't slept, if, I mean, anybody who's had kids or a puppy know that your world becomes really foggy and distressed because of this lack of sleep. Right. Right. Everybody's felt that. Yeah, exactly. So, so next um, you become dizzy, you have lower concentration, you get confused or kind of out of it, weakness and fatigue, which yes. Right? Yeah, all bad, all bad things. That's, That's heat, heat stroke, stroke right? right? But but what they think is actually happening. So it's not just you know how that feeling when you feel like the sun's kind of beaten down on you, and sure. you're like you're way too hot. What they're thinking is that it starts to mess with um, how you sweat. With how you sweat, you yeah. sweat differently when you are in really really high heat. Right. So at the beginning, you're sweating, and as you sweat. It, de- or it, it evaporates. evaporates and that yeah, cool. takes the heat away from your body, right? Right. Well, as you slowly get dehydrated, you're out a lot, that kind of thing, your body cannot keep up with that as long. And so you're, you're not um, evaporating as much heat away from your body. And then here's a kicker, humidity really messes up sweating. Well, because you can't evaporate as fast or as efficiently if yeah. it's humid. Yes. So if it's humid, then you don't, you don't, your sweating is not as efficient, which means you heat faster. That's why... humidity at 90% heat Mm -hmm. feels like you're on the surface of the sun Mm -hmm. or 110 and 5% humidity. You can probably deal with a little easier. Yes. Yes, exactly. Makes sense. So where if you're in heavy humidity, you might still have, you might not be quote unquote dehydrated, but your body is so hot that you're just not able to manage it. Okay. So that's where you start getting confused. And I mean, all of the heat, typical heat stroke things that we talk about, that is where your mental state actually starts to deteriorate. When your cooling mechanism doesn't keep up with the increase in heat in your body. Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. So, and that what they found is people are also more violent and aggressive during heat waves. What? Well, I, but you're, you're tired, fatigued, and sleepy. Now you're violent too? Now you're like, violent. Like little spurts of violent, like, I can't get up off the couch. I'm so hot. And then I'm up and I'm, I'm killing people. <laughs> and I'm punching people. Okay. Well, so the social psychology version is that we're just out more, we're interacting more, uh, we're intoxicated more, we're social interacting, that kind of thing. Um, yes, I mean, that I, that would be hard to argue. And humans... Humans are very complex, so we we typically cannot narrow it down to just one thing. However, what they found is that during heat, and this is 100 degrees or over, our sympathetic response is quicker to respond. Oh, so it's like, because that's that's our our fight, 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 freeze freeze. response. Mm -hmm. We'll fight or fight, flight, right? So it's it's our aggressive, like, do action response right and when it's hot it's like primed and ready to go ready to roll when it's cold we're like huddled in our little like, blankets do we need to our... move do right. we actually need to move but when you're hot you're just you're tired and fatigued but your that sympathetic response is ready to go about twice as fast gun. twice okay. as fast twice as fast which is in in very intense because you got to think about it if you're socially interacting you're going to have some sort of conflict right it Makes just sense. is the way it is it's the way we are right so if we're quicker to aggression then, I mean, then you, all of the alarm systems in your brain start going off. We have, um, it can, it can be interpreted as frustration, aggression, even in anxiety. So people tend to have more panic attacks, more anxiety symptoms when it's a hundred degrees or over and you've been in the heat. That oh, so it doesn't over. have to be anger and violence. Mm-hmm. It could also be anxiety and internal stuff as well. Right. So, okay. and you feel upset. You don't know what's going on. It's that parasympathetic response, the the calming system is actually harder to initiate. So sympathetic increases, parasympathetic decreases. Mm-hmm. You are in, you are in a heightened state. Yes. You're in okay. a heightened state. 
and you're, you're, I mean, you're ready to go to battle, right? So then the last theory, the reason why we are so affected by heat is because we actually haven't been able to manage heat as humans for very long. So with the cold, okay, we've had fire, we've had shelter, we go in caves, we do all this kind of stuff to, to make sure that we're not too cold. We have fairly, fairly efficient ways to heat our bodies yeah. with the invention of fire and now with you know, forced air heat. Yes, yeah. But we didn't have cooling, just like we talked about before. No, basically... It's just something you, you, you dealt with. Yeah, you had to go into caves. You had to get really clever, right? And even then, it, A, it wasn't very drastic in temperature changes because even a deep, dark cave is not going to be super cool compared to outside. Well, and you can't be in a deep, dark cave and go find food. Yes, exactly. You, know, so you, you, you can't gotta, go hunting. You got to come out. You got to work. You got to do your stuff. That yeah. makes sense. Okay. So temperature changes in heat were usually kind of gradual. Right. right. Maybe maybe hotter in the summer where you go, you know, vary about 10 degrees. But but you had your summers, you had your fall, you had winter. You had, I mean, you you went through the seasons with the environment. Right. And now we don't. We go from 68 degree air conditioned building out to 110 degree heat through the parking lot mm-hmm. into a auto start car that's 70 degrees back into a really hot outdoor activity. That makes sense. So we're fluctuating all the time. All the time. So our bodies are more sensitive, making all of these elements about how our body is affected more sensitive. So our sympathetic is even more heightened and our parasympathetic is even more repressed Mm -hmm. because of the rapid change in temperature that we experience every day. Yes. Okay. Isn't that wild? That's crazy. Yep. So... That's, I mean, that's pretty much it. That's that, but that's, but that's a lot. Yeah. That, and, and it, it very much affects us. So we're going to go into action plan about how to actually make this okay. Yeah. Because just like our fast paced life, we can't, this show isn't about, Hey, ditch everything and go be on a farm, you right. know, and live in the environment or go be a woodsman. You mm-hmm. know, we, we got to live in this society. So how do you go from an air conditioned office or air conditioned home yep. out to your garden, you know, over to the grocery store, you know, and maybe not let this affect your brain as heavily. Exactly. Well, because that's the thing is I love air conditioning. Air conditioning is the jam. Yeah. Yeah. And we all like it. But how do we make it where we're less upset, anxious, all of that due to these huge fluctuations in temperature? Okay, perfect. Let's do a quick coffee segment. Let's get in the action plan to beat the heat. I drank pots and pots and pots and pots of strong black coffee trying to keep my sleepy soul awake but the sleepiness still comes along and when it does it's fast and strong i end up with a bad case of the shakes You've got the coffee segment today, don't you? I do. And the And you're really excited about this because you told me we were going to do this. <laughs> yeah. So the reason why this came up is because I'm like, let's have a coffee roasting company. Yeah, in our house. Like, in let's house. do a co- let's yeah. roast our own coffee beans. So initially, I looked up all of the equipment. Uh huh. Real expensive. I don't know if you've ever looked into it. Weird. Thousands yeah. and thousands and thousands of dollars. Depending and probably on- the size of our whole basement. Um. Yeah. I mean, it depends on how big of batches you're doing. You can be like an artisan, like small batch. We need like an, a, a pound of coffee a week. Yeah. So how how small machine? Yeah. That's what you do. You get a home brewing machine. That's your next Frederick Tudor idea. Yes. All right, but let's, no. but let's talk well, about yeah. brewing coffee beans. So I looked or, into beans. Okay. And if you're if you're gonna get them green green beans, roasting. I, I said brewing. This is about roasting your own roasting coffee beans. It. So you get a green coffee bean. Yeah. 
and you cook it mm -hmm. to a certain temperature yeah. and time, mm -hmm. and it comes out with this flavor. Now, that is so specific, it's like milliseconds. Like yeah. If you leave it in the oven for an additional tenth of a second, yeah. it's like, oh, you ruined it, or you got a completely different flavor with different notes. Yeah, so because the, the thing with roasting, apparently, is the beans kind of have to always keep moving. Right, so it's and like that, a hopper? It is. Like a little churner, yeah, like, like a mixer? Yeah, like it moves around, yeah. Okay. Well, because that's, that's why those equipment, it's so expensive, is because the bean never hits any hot spots. Whoa. It just always just keeps moving around and just like generally roasted. Because if you do that, if you burn a bean, it's going to ruin the entire batch. And the problem is... If you burn one coffee bean, it ruins the whole batch. Yeah. And the reason being... that I learned a lot about all these things. Okay. The reason being is that you can't really tell if it's perfectly roasted or if it's burned until you have ground it up, put it in your cup, drank it... And tasted it. And tasted it, and it's burned. So then your entire batch is gone. So, so it's... It's yes, it's more complicated than I would have ever thought. And a green pound of coffee beans is about six dollars. Six dollars for a green yeah. pound, which is which was a good start for me because I'm like, hell yeah, let's do this. Like yeah. I'm, I'm buying it, right? right? But then if you're if you're doing it at home without any type of you know equipment, right? This is what you're gonna need. You're gonna need a baking sheet with an aluminum foil. Wait, we're gonna roast them like in our oven? In the oven. This isn't gonna work. No, it's not. Okay. So uh, you need a wooden spoon, and it better be wooden because you can't have the metallic taste. It cannot. Yeah. Okay. Um, a vegetable strainer. Okay. But it has to be a good quality. Because you're putting it in the oven, I'm guessing. You're putting it in the oven. Okay. And you don't want it to leach onto the beans because oh. beans apparently very much absorb. All the things, and it's the oil will come off of the bean, I guess. Okay. It's a big deal. Um, two large bowls or colanders. You need a mason jar, and you need an oven thermometer. Okay. Okay. So first, you're going to preheat the oven to 450, roughly. What? No, I thought this was exact, precise yeah, science. Yeah, so here's the problem. Every oven is different. Oh, my God. That's why you need the oven thermometer? That's why to you get need it the oven. Exactly. So yeah. when your oven is, like, you say 455, and it's actually 450, all right, so you get yeah, 450. Yeah, so it's a big, big 450 deal. 450 degrees. 450 degrees, roughly. You line your baking sheet, and you put the vegetable strainer in the middle of it. Okay. Okay. And then what you're going to do is you're going to take roughly about a half of a cup or less of beans. You're going to put it in your vegetable strainer. And you, you better put them down to one layer. So one layer, one layer one of coffee, bean in your, coffee beans in your strainer. So in a on a good day, on a good vegetable strainer... It's about a half a cup. Okay. So then, so then you're going to put it in there, right? Uh -huh. And then you're going to um, set the timer for three minutes. Okay. If it is literally a second over, then... You ruin it. Yep. And you won't know until Until, until you, you go it. to drink it, yeah. So after three minutes, you're going to open your oven, um, making sure not to leach out too much of the heat. You're going to take your wooden spoon and you're going to spoon it. Like you're going to mix it. Mix it all around, mix it right? up. And then you're going to make sure... It's that a it, one layer again. Yes. So you're going to mix gonna pat it, it. down. And then you're going to pat it down. And in a perfect world... But you're not, you're not going to let the, the oven get too cool while you do this. Exactly. So or your bean get too you cool. You've got to put your arm into 450 degree all weather. Right. Okay. So then you're going to start it around, right? And then in a perfect world, you have uh, turned each bean... So if it's like the little the little butt end I versus the yeah. open end. So the smooth end to the butt end. Yeah. You turn you, every single bean. Yeah. You, you take a little tweezers and you turn every <laughs> single bean. All right, got it? Yep. And then you do this at the three-minute mark, the five-minute mark, the seven-minute mark, and the nine-minute mark. Oh, because one time's not good enough. You have well, to, it has to keep stirring, to babe. It. it has to keep stirring. Four times, all right. So then 
Then um, not only do you do this, but between the, the minutes of seven and nine minutes, you're going to start hearing some crack and pop all, like okay. popping boop, and it's going to be uh, just amazing. If you watch the videos, it's worth it. Okay. So um, then <laughs> once the cracking starts happening, you're going you're gonna to listen for it, just kind of like with popcorn, and it's going to slow down in about 30 to 60 seconds. Oh, so it crackles, pops, and then it slows down. That's when you know. That's, That's when you where know. your artisan ear comes into play. Yes. And you know it's done. Yep. Okay. So then comes the quick cooling process. Okay. So you yank it out of the oven real quick. And then you take your your half cup of little beans and you put them in the one colander and the other colander. And then you're going to put them, you're going to walk outside apparently or into a very cooled room. Which apparently, like, if you're going outside, it's like 90 plus degrees. I'm thinking they're, they're saying winter time. Okay, maybe in the winter time. Okay, so a very cooled room around that 60 to 65 mark. You're going to go back and forth on it, right? And you're going to and you're gonna make sure that it all gets cooled. Okay, evenly, okay. cooled evenly. Evenly cooled. Okay. And then you're going to have some kind of um, little husks and such that are left over will come off you're going to have to you know take those out to make sure that you don't put them into your coffee because that's really intense okay um so once they're cooled to the temperature you're gonna put them in a and they have to be room temperature you're gonna put them in a mason jar real quick okay and you're gonna so you're gonna cool them for a while but then real quick put them in a mason jar. yeah because they have it once once they're at room temperature so the yeah. Once they're at room temperature, it, yeah. then you're going to put them in the mason jar. And do not close that mason jar all the way because the CO2 needs to get out. Okay. Okay. Um, so you're going to kind of like open it up just a little bit. And then boom, you have coffee. You forgot the last step. What is it? Go to your local barista or <laughs> roaster and buy the pound of coffee after you realize you messed it up. Yeah. So here's the thing. Um, a, a half a cup of beans, you'll do this like how many times do you think with a a a pound of beans. That's that's like a maybe a serving of our French press. Yeah, so, so you you'll do probably do this like day. What like eight times, ten times? Yeah, it's yeah. Um, and this is why they have the equipment. If you're bored, I guess, and you want to do it, but this is why they have a ten thousand dollar roaster. Right. Well, because that's the thing is the roaster keeps moving. Roaster, yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, and they could go. There's ones that are like copper. Babe, Ooh. they're copper. Ooh. Yeah, I was. That's your fancy roast. Oh my goodness! And that's why their coffee tastes better. But they're yeah, but that's true yep. because the 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 copper it will kind of leach into the beans a little bit or some process. I don't know. But but it's safe for you because it's copper and the flavor is probably pretty good. Oh my goodness! Yeah. yeah. So it's really quite amazing. And then it, I mean that's the thing is you're gonna roast it in this little turning thing, mm-hmm. and then you're gonna cool it really rapidly. And then, I mean, it's just... So the roaster is the one who really determines how your coffee tastes. Yeah. The bean the bean is the bean, and it does have different tones well, it, and undernotes. Yeah, because they're from different parts of the, the country or the world and that kind of stuff. But so it's your roaster. It's the really roaster. The and, and really gets down like to the millisecond. Because if you have light roast, you're going to be... Um, obviously, it's a, a lower temperature. Okay. If you have the dark roast, it's going to be the darker. And apparently, and it makes sense, the dark roast is much harder to get dialed because oh. it's easier to burn it because it's, it's longer. It's easier to burn because you're, you're burning it or you're heating it longer. Yes. Longer okay. and at, at a, a higher, higher heat. Yeah. Okay. So, so come to find out you and I are probably not going to have a coffee roasting company, which was really great. Really, really that distressing is, to that me. That is great for me. Yeah. We got but yeah. yeah, but there was an, a roasting company in Eagle Mountain, and so I'm going to rally, and I'm going to hopefully get them back online. Get them back. Get them back yeah, here. Because I all think right. yeah, I I think we should do this. To I think. all to all our small uh, coffee roasters, 
Thank you so you much for everything you do. Let's let's all get together and try to support them a little more because that is ridiculous. Isn't that a process? Well, and just the equipment alone and the process because they they obviously have to go through a lot of beans to figure out their special right. recipe, whatever that is. And so that's why local roasters and small batch roasters are so important because they really put the finesse into it. If you're, okay. I, I love Starbucks, Starbucks just like anybody else. Sure, but those are big batch things. Like, like they've got it dialed. They buy bulk green beans green coffee beans oh i can't even imagine the amount yeah so let's let's support the local little guys let's do it i like it all right perfect well there's your coffee segment let's get back into beating the heat yes and let's wrap this thing up Mm -hmm. let's hope you make the most of it my boy all right so now we're sitting in our air-conditioned house, mm-hmm. roasting our own coffee beans. Yeah, we are. <laughs> but it's really hot outside, yep. and we have to go outside because we haven't been outside or put on pants for a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. So now we do that, but then our parath- or our sympathetic response tightens up, and we punch our neighbor in the face. Yes, not How a do good we idea. not do that? How do we, How do we not do that? Tell us. Well, first off, I want you to sleep in a cool place. I want you to crank that air conditioning up. It's expensive, but okay. Yes. We'll, we'll do it. <laughs> so 65. What do we sleep at? I've never... Had... 72. Oh my gosh. What are we doing? So we're too hot. We got to crank it down to 65. 65 degrees is Can the I optimal. I just like get our sheets wet? <laughs> Help with no. evaporation? That is no. All right. Okay. No, we're 60, not doing that. 65, 65 degrees. degrees. And I want you to sit down and kind of assess your sleeping habits where, you know, what's going on. Assess your blankets. Maybe, like, get, a, maybe get a cooler blanket. Yeah. Like, get a, a less dense comforter yeah a lighter a lighter blanket to sleep with whatever you know even like a cool i didn't have air conditioning growing up so we had like cool washcloths on our head and like all kinds of stuff so get get clever with it get creative you don't have to turn your ac or your swamp cooler down to 65 no and go broke no okay but but i really want you to try to get it down where you're comfortable and especially in summertime you might be like oh my gosh i'm so tired assess your sleep first and really, I dial in that routine. Okay. Okay. Um, second, I want you to stay hydrated and to get out of the heat when you start feeling foggy. Just um, be safe. Don't get heat stroke. Yeah, essentially. Okay. And But staying hydrated is really important because I want you to be able to sweat. Because even if you don't live in a humid environment, like we're, we're not very humid here in Utah. No. But um, but you need to have enough to sweat. If you stop sweating, I mean, I mean, you're a first responder. It's that's ba- when you stop news. sweating and you're still hot. That's the heat stroke. Bad news, magoos is yep. what that is. So making sure that you're drinking enough, you're staying safe, and if you do have that fog, you know, throw down a big glass of water, sit in some shade. I mean, just generally good. Okay. Be aware that you are going to be more frustrated, anxious, um, anxious or um, aggressive. Um, agitated agitated all, all the all, things all the things and just the awareness is a big key on our show if that's like a one big takeaway so mm-hmm. just be aware of what's going on and it's a lot easier to deal with i was like oh i'm angry because i my sympathetic response is really keyed up right and then really note what your parasympathetic response elements are in our coping skills um okay, so are for the summertime so get some coping skills for the summertime specifically yes I'm really hot. I'm angry. I'm going to yell at my kids or my significant other uh-huh. because I'm just frustrated. Instead of doing that, I'm going to sit in the shade in my hammock with a cold drink. Yes. Okay. Yep. And just really know what those things are and try to preemptively, like if you're going to go sit in a hot car, maybe bring one of those uh, frozen like things you put in your lunch and like... Oh, an sit. ice pack. Yeah, an ice pack. Yeah. And then, you know... Like put it on your forehead or something. Yeah, okay. just something, just preemptively know that your sympathetic response is going to be keyed up. 
And then lastly, I want you to take breaks from our glorious life of AC and you know general climate management. Expose yourself. Exposure yes. therapy. Yeah. So get I'm, hot. Go I want, sit in the sauna. Go outside and get baked by the sun. Yeah. And and my reasoning here is that we're trying to reduce that sensitivity where we're just getting used to it. We're used to being outside. Turn your AC down even during the day and you know and get open, hot. Yeah. Just just let your house get hot. Let your body get hot. Go in nature. Just like go anything, camping. Yeah, just like anything else, our our chemical responses in our brain dull the more we're exposed to something. Yep. So just expose yourself to it as much as you can, and you'll have less of a sympathetic response. Exactly. You'll be less sensitive to those things, for All right. sure. All right. So so that's how we beat the heat. So hopefully you guys don't have a heat wave going on in your neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. We definitely do right now. Yep. But we're going to get out there. We're going to get ourselves exposed to it. We're going to know that we're going to be just more cranky mm-hmm. and frustrated and anxious during the time. Yes. And we're going to go out, and we're going to... Build a better you. Thanks, guys.